Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We have been working our way uh, through some confessional statements that uh, we as Christians believe or should be believing. And uh, so far, we've uh, looked at a few of those. Um, One of them concerning that I believe in the name of Jesus Christ and um, how the belief in Jesus, his name, and what his name means is so important. Then last week, we looked at uh, I believe in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what his crucifixion is and what it means to believe in his crucifixion and what it means to believe in his resurrection. And this morning here, we're going to be here in uh, 1 Peter, and we're going to be talking about, I believe in the hope of heaven. And I believe that as believers in Christ, our faith, should be anchored in Christ. And we see in Scripture, especially here, we're going to be looking here out of 1 Peter, that Peter makes some statements about our belief, our hope that we have uh, in heaven. And so what exactly do we believe concerning the hope of heaven? What What does that mean to actually believe in the hope of heaven? Why does believing in it give us hope? What does it mean to believe in that hope of heaven? What is your picture of heaven like? I mean, if you could just close your eyes just for a moment, what is your picture of heaven like? What is it? For some, it's where there's no death, no tears, or no sickness. Oftentimes when there is a a funeral or a death of a loved one. Uh, many times you hear people talking about heaven, the hope of heaven. We talk about, oh, now that person has received their healing in heaven. Or now they're in a place where there's no more pain, there's no more sickness. So oftentimes people have that picture, that thought of the hope of heaven as being a place of no sickness, there's no death. Perhaps your picture of heaven is of the opposite of hell. It's a place of of eternal bliss. It's a place where there's no suffering. For some, your picture of heaven has been shaped by movies and depicting overweight uh, infants and wings and loosely fitting diapers sitting on clouds strumming their harps. We all have these pictures or these ideas of what we think heaven is. So what is our hope of heaven? Possibly your picture of heaven has been framed by theology, what we believe about God and what he says in his words. We might say heaven is being in the presence of God. Or it's where you go because we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. This morning, I want you to be captivated and moved Not by facts, but by the beauty and the promise of the hope of heaven. And so this is what I want you to take away with you today. Our belief in the hope of heaven is glorious, it's enduring, 
and full of joy. Now, you should be here in 1 Peter by now, but let's read this awesome passage here about our hope in heaven that we have as believers in Christ. 1 Peter chapter number 1. And notice here what uh, Paul is, or what Peter here is going to write about this hope of heaven that we have. Verse number 3, chapter 1, 1 Peter. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The hope of heaven, what we believe about it. First thing I want you to take notice of is, first of all, we believe in the hope of heaven because of the new birth. Take a look here at verse number three, what Peter writes. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has what? He has caused us to be born again. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Where do we get our hope from? Where does our hope come from? Do you see it there in the verse? Look at it. Look at it carefully. What does he say? God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Without Christ, we have no hope. 
Oh, sure, people say things such as, well, I hope this will work out, or I hope tomorrow this will happen, or I sure hope this will work in my favor. But without Christ, you have no hope whatsoever. And God is the one who gives us a living hope. And that's where our hope comes from. And notice where it originates. It comes from God the Father who according to his great mercy, it's according to his great mercy that he has caused us to be born again. And then notice what secured our hope. I love this. It's there at the end of verse 3. Look at it, what he says here. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Last week we talked about the hope, right? I believe in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. Because Christ is resurrected, he has secured that hope for us. You see, if Christ is not resurrected from the dead, there would be no hope. But he promises us hope, he promises us life, and he gives us new life through the new birth, and that hope is secured for us through Christ's resurrection. It's so important to remember that salvation is all of God. Look at this verse very carefully. Salvation is outside of us. We contribute nothing to it. Notice what Peter says here. He says, he has caused us to be born again. Did you cause yourself to be born again? Nope. God himself has caused us to be born again. He has given us mercy and grace, and he has lavishly poured upon us his mercy, and he has caused us to be born again, and that's only through the resurrected Christ. I have a hope in heaven, not because of what I do or what I don't do, but because God has caused me to be born again. Have you been born again? Jesus said very clearly to Nicodemus, a very uh, Pharisee that was a ruler of the Jews, one that knew the law inside and out. I mean, he... he kept the law of God as as best as he could. And Jesus said to him, he said, Nicodemus, except you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. There has to be a spiritual birth totally originating from God, not from yourself. And God is the one that causes us to be born again when we repent of our sin and we put our faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. I want to show you another awesome aspect of our hope in heaven because of the new birth. What is this hope made of? What is, what is the substance of our hope? What is the substance of this hope to which God causes us to be born? Well, verses 4 and 5 help us understand this. Take a look at what he says here. He says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, there's an interesting parallel here in these verses. We're born again. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope in verse number 3. And then we're also caused to be born again. Look at verse number 4. To what? He's continuing the thought. To an inheritance. Not only do we have a living hope, 
of eternal life, but now there's an inheritance. And we're born again to an inheritance, as what he says. Somehow I think Peter here is showing us that the living hope of verse 3 and the inheritance of verse 4 are intertwined, they're connected, they're, they, they come from God alone. God alone gives us the, 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 the new birth. God alone gives us the inheritance, and it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're born again to this inheritance. So what is this substance of our hope? It's our inheritance. That's the substance of it, an inheritance. Where? It's kept in heaven. You see, I have a hope in heaven. I believe in the hope of heaven. It's an inheritance that I have. Now think about that word inheritance. Let's say you had some outstanding bills, credit card debts, uh, mortgages, all kinds of stuff. Latest statistics shows in 2023 that the average American household has $103,358 in debt. Now that's split between mortgages, uh, auto loans, personal credit cards, uh, personal loans, all that kind of stuff. Now, let's say, hypothetically, that you had $105,000 in debt, but you also had a great-grandfather, great-grandfather Mortimer, and uh, he has promised you that upon his death, you will be inheriting $5 million. Now, would you be concerned about the $105,000 in debt? <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> you think about that inheritance, right? You're looking forward to it. It's something that you're anticipating. Now make the connection here. Here in this text, Peter is telling you that this inheritance to which you have been born is so much better than the inheritance left by your great-grandfather. Why? Look at verse number four. He tells you that this inheritance is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it will not fade away. And it's reserved in heaven for you. Literally, for you. It's been reserved. Now, notice in verse number five, he adds that you're protected, I love this, by the power of God through faith to the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you see what Peter is saying here? He's saying two things. First, he's saying that this inheritance, this salvation is more real, it's more permanent, it's more lasting than anything that you can taste, touch, or even see. Take a look around this building. Look at everything that's in here. We've got a piano, we got these trees, microphones, carpet, lights, paint, chairs. Look at the person next to you. Look at, look at all the stuff that they have on. They got clothes, they may have accessories, glasses, shoes, all this stuff. It'll be gone. So quick. This world is passing away. Everything in this world is going to dissolve. 
This building was built in 1901. Got a receipt for all the lumber downstairs. 1901. Think about it. This, this building has lasted over 100 years, but guess what? It is going to fade away. It's going to be gone. But our inheritance, the hope of heaven, will last forever. It's unfading. It will not fade away. The city will be gone. Our country will end. All these things will fade away, but not your inheritance. Your inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and it will not fade away. Secondly, he's saying that this salvation, this inheritance, it's imperishable. In other words, it will not perish. It will never fade away. It's yours. It's not some generic, distant reality out there. This imperishable inheritance is reserved in heaven for you. God has promised you his inheritance, the hope of heaven. It's unfading. And it's for those who have been born again. Those who have put their faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. God has promised an inheritance. And I love this. God can never go back on his word. Why? Because our inheritance does not rely upon what we do or what we don't do. It relies upon who? Christ who is resurrected from the dead. And so it's not dependent upon us. This imperishable inheritance, what exactly is this inheritance? Think about that. Is it a certificate? Is it a, is it a scroll that's been rolled up and securely uh, put away in the, in the bank vault of heaven somewhere? Is that what it is? Our inheritance is Jesus. That's our inheritance, Jesus. Our inheritance, our hope of heaven is Jesus. Look at verse number three. I love this again. We are born again through what? Saying a prayer, reciting Bible verses, attending church, giving money, being baptized. No, through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is our inheritance imperishable and undefiled and unfading? Because Christ is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. One day, our inheritance will be made visible faith, and it will become sight. Notice what he says here. He says, that in verse number 5, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Christ is going to break through those eastern clouds. We will see him in that salvation. It'll be made visible for all to see. And our inheritance will become real. And it's guarded in faith. It's guarded in heaven for us. Why do you believe in the hope of heaven? Why, why should we believe in the hope of heaven? We should believe in the hope of heaven because we have Jesus who is our hope. I want you to take notice of a second thing about why I believe in the hope of heaven. We believe in the hope of heaven because of a faith that endures. 
Take a look here at verse number six. He says this. Remember, he's talking about this inheritance. He's talking about this hope of heaven that we have. The thought is still continuing. Notice the verse number six. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And I love the way God's word helps us understand the reality of our hope. We can endure. This is so refreshing to put this this hope here right in the thick of today's worries, struggles, and trials. The Bible tells us that we're going to face trials even though we're believers. We're going to face distress and grief and hardship, pain and loss. According to the Bible, distress and trials are simply really the facts of life. Did you catch that in verse number 6? Look at verse number 6 again. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. How do you view your trials in life? How do you view them? A lot of times. Look at the perspective of how we should view them. Remember, he's still talking about the hope of heaven here. Look at the perspective of how we should view them. Notice how he introduces the trials. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I think that Peter is trying to show you that there's something more permanent, something more lasting, something more enduring than your current trial. Now, don't misunderstand me here, and don't misunderstand what Peter's trying to say here. Peter's not minimizing the depth or the agony of our trials. Because I'll tell you, when you're in the thick of them, it hurts. You grieve. You mourn. There's pain. It's real. And so he's not minimizing that at all. But he's trying to help us to change our perspective on how we view those trials. In fact, when Peter wrote this letter, he was writing to Christians at the time who were facing persecution. Christians were being hunted down by Emperor Nero. They were crucified. They were being burned at stakes. They were being uh, placed in Nero's gardens as, as candles to light his gardens, set on fire. They were being sewn up in, in animal skins and thrown to wild beasts. I mean, this is the persecution that these Christians were enduring. And Peter says, this is just for a little while. Change your perspective on your hope of heaven. Peter knew trials. Peter's not discarding your trials. He's simply trying to give you perspective. And this is why it's so important that we need to be renewing our mind constantly with the Word of God. Anytime that we are in trials, anytime that we are going through difficult times, there's family dynamic situations that they're hard and they're difficult, and it seems like things are falling apart over here, and I go over to work over here, and things are falling apart, and I go home, and things are falling apart, and it just seems like there's just everything is just crumbling around me. What do we need to do? Change our mind. Renew our mind through the word of God. Change our perspective on how we are viewing those trials. And we get a glimpse 
of our hope in heaven that's unfading. It's, imper- it's, it's, it's lasting for, for all of eternity. It's undefiled. And Peter's trying to help us look to the other direction. Listen to how the Apostle Paul, who was afflicted by various trials, puts it in 2 Corinthians 4.17. He says, For a momentary, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. You see, our hope doesn't dismiss our trials and our distresses. It embraces them. We welcome them. We don't try to run from them. We welcome them. Why? Because God will do an amazing work in our life. It's interesting. When you see people go through a trial, you see how their faith deepens. There's more substance to it. Why? Because they're turning their heart. They're turning their life. They're they're turning their perspective to God and clinging to him as they go through that trial, and that difficulty. There's distress and there's hope. There's affliction and there's belief. There's pain and there's joy. There's brokenness and there's faith. I believe that it is through our trials that our hope has the opportunity to become more real. There's more substance to it. We learn more, lean more heavily on Christ and his promises. In our disability we become more dependent on his ability to help us through that time. Now notice what Peter says about this hope that is enduring various trials. Look at verse number 7 here. He says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. Where? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we go through our trials, we go through those difficulties, we go through those hardships, and we wonder, is it ever going to end? Is it ever going to be made right? Is there ever going to be any relief? Oh yes, there will be. When? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now what is the reason for our trials? Notice what he says here, the genuineness of our faith. Faith in what? Just faith? I have faith. I have faith. What, 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 is, what is it in? It is in Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ. Our hope is in Christ. It is all about Christ. When Christ returns, the dead in Christ are raised. Notice where the praise, the glory, and the honor will be directed. Not in man. Not in some movements. Oh, wow, look at this. Look what this person did. Look what. No. Where will it be directed? Not in political agendas, not in science, but in Jesus Christ, who is revealed from heaven. All the praise and the glory will belong to him. Verse 8, it just gets better. Love, love this. He says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is expressible and filled with glory. Do you see what Peter is doing here? He's taking our gaze off of our trials and directing them towards Christ. Our faith becomes sight. Notice what he says here. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Our faith will become sight in Christ. Our hope of heaven is in Jesus who helps us endure trials. Let's look at one last one here. Thirdly, we believe in the hope of heaven because of the joy of knowing Jesus. Now, this just keeps getting better and better. I, I follow the flow of thought that Peter is writing here. Okay? He's writing about the trials and distress. He told us that our hope enables us to endure in verse 6. But also, look at verse number 8 again. Notice in verse 8, okay, you don't see him, yet you love him. And you believe in him. Our hope in heaven, which is in Jesus, enables us to rejoice or to have joy. And he says to rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's a command. He's telling us in the midst of the trial, your hope is in heaven. And so we should be rejoicing. We can rejoice greatly with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory in the midst of trials and distresses. Why? Because it's all connected. Look again at verse number 6. He says, in this you rejoice. What? All that stuff that we've been talking about, our hope that is in heaven, the fact that we've been born again, the fact that our inheritance is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading. He says we can rejoice in all of that in the midst of the trials. In these things, in all of this, you can rejoice even though you were distressed by various trials. Now notice the quality of our rejoicing, verse number 8. Here it is. Notice what he says. With joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. That's the quality of our rejoicing that we should be having in life. It should be inexpressible and full of glory. Isn't that remarkable? This isn't some flimsy, tentative, half-hearted kind of rejoicing. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. How in the world do you rejoice like that? How do you rejoice like that when you're facing trials? How do you rejoice like that when you can't see him? Peter gives us the answer. Look at verse number 13. Therefore, it's connecting it all together. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're always looking forward. We're always looking ahead. Our, our minds are heavenly-minded. Our minds are set on things which are above, not here on things that are here on the earth. We're looking forward to Christ's second coming. And so we need to fix our hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So then naturally the question is, what is the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ? And context is so important. Context is king. You always got to remember that, okay? We don't cherry pick verses here and there, okay? We keep the verses together. We keep the thoughts together is what Peter is talking about. Look at verse number 9 because he helps us understand, understand this. What is this grace that is brought to us? Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
we are awaiting the salvation. Oh yes, we have been saved from the penalty of our sin. When we believed in Christ, when we turned to our faith in Christ and Christ alone, we were saved from the penalty of our sins. And now as we live our lives here on this earth, as we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're obeying the word of God, God is doing a sanctifying work and he is saving us from the, 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 the sin that, that we don't have to be engaged in. But one day, there will come a day when we will be saved totally, completely from the very presence of sin. And that's a future salvation that we are awaiting when Christ returns. And this is where we need to have our eyes fixed on, fixed on Christ. He is the hope of heaven. He is what we are anticipating. He is what we are waiting for. This grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ is the inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, that's reserved in heaven for you and protected by the power of God. Who is that? It's Jesus. He secured that for us at his resurrection. Do you see what Peter's saying here? He's saying, fix your hope on Jesus. So I ask you again, what is your picture of heaven? What is it? Is it Jesus? Is it what you are truly anticipating and waiting for? Would you be happy just be in heaven and know Jesus? You see, everything is about Christ. I love his words that he told uh, Thomas, remember in John 14? He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, he says what? I will return again and take you there with me. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's all through Christ. It should be Jesus. Jesus is our inheritance. Jesus is what we look to with eyes of faith to endure, and Jesus is our joy. He truly is the hope of heaven. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.